Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. Before we get going, I want to send out a special note of thanks to my good friends Emily Sullivan, Ashley Sterner, and Jane Miller, who filled in for me while I was gone. I was away for about 10 days uh, in a one, on a wonderful trip to Israel with our dear friends, uh, Rabbi Daniel Kotzenberg and Rabbi Miriam Kotzenberg, uh, who showed Linnell and me around uh, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and the Golan Heights and uh, the Sea of Galilee. We had a wonderful trip, and I'm going to talk about that, particularly the very interesting and tense political situation having to do with judicial review in Israel. Of course, we uh, heard of uh, yet another incident of violence between Palestinians and the Israeli army uh, just yesterday. Uh, but we'll talk about the political situation in Israel, uh, and I will uh, bring you share with you some uh, remarks by some folks who are at a protest against the Netanyahu government's uh, intention to change the structure of Israeli law, having a uh, a new role for the court system uh, in Jerusalem uh, and in Israel. So it's a it's a very interesting time to be there, and I'm uh, delighted that I had the chance to go, and delighted that uh, Emily, Ashley, and Jane were nice enough to fill in and talk about some really important topics. Today, we're going to talk about a new report that's just been released by BUILD. That's Baltimore, Baltimoreans United in Leadership Development. They have published this report to propose new ways to change the trajectory of our city, which is losing population quickly and whose huge stock of vacant houses remains a fundamental problem. The stock of vacant houses is difficult to quantify, but many estimates put it at around 15,000 properties. Over the past 20-plus years, Baltimore has lost nearly that many homeowners, including 5,000 black homeowners. What will stem the tide of people leaving our city, and what can be done to refurbish or remove the blighted properties that enshrine poverty in some of our most economically disadvantaged communities. My guests today are here to talk about a comprehensive strategy to address these challenges. The strategy is not inexpensive, but it's a moral and economic imperative that these problems be solved, and the report that Build has issued reflects a deep understanding of what the problems are and how they can be best addressed. It's called Whole Blocks, Whole City, Reclaiming Vacant Property Throughout Baltimore. Reverend George Hopkins is a co-chair of BUILD. Reverend, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And Reverend Andrew Connors is the pastor of Brown Memorial Park Avenue Presbyterian Church and a member of the BUILD strategy team. Pastor Connors, good to see you. Great to see you too, Tom. And uh, full disclosure, uh, Reverend Connors and I have been friends for nearly 20 years. Reverend Hopkins and I have just met this morning <laughs> and we're delighted uh, that you're both here. But uh, I've actually even done some work in the music ministry of Brown Memorial Church and uh, my wife and our family have uh, attended that church for some time. You are welcome to join us with your opinions, your perspective, your questions and comments about vacant houses in the city of Baltimore. Our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at Midday WIPR. So, Reverend Hopkins, let me start with you. Um, the let, Let's talk about the scope of the problem. Um, we talked about maybe 15,000 uh, vacant houses, but you also mentioned in this report uh, some 20,000 vacant properties, and even the number 70,000 comes up uh, from time to time in this report. 3,000 different blocks have vacant houses. I mean, this is an enormous 
problem, isn't it? It is. And it's the number of vacants. It's the presence of a vacant on a block and how that vacant impacts an entire block. So not only will a vacant being vacant uh, lead to possible fires, lead to possible violence and different things happening at that vacant, but also decreases the value on that block. And so the likelihood of every block that has a vacant of another vacant happening because someone says, I'm tired of living next to a vacant, um, really impacts our entire community, which makes the problem very, very big. And Reverend Connors, uh, there have been any number of plans to eliminate vacants. I've been, I've talked to uh, Mayor Catherine Pugh, mm-hmm. uh, Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, Mayor Jack Young, Mayor Brandon Scott. I've talked to people from the housing department. I've talked to experts. Uh, one uh, guy named Alan Wallach, who was involved in the creation of this report, uh, I guess to some extent. Um, so many plans. So many plans. And the project, uh, the problem still exists. Well, yes. I mean, you can go all the way back to the O'Malley administration and Project 5000, and then, of course, um, more recently, uh, Vacants to Value, um, even the Hogan administration with the core funding, all of that, uh, all of those plans are targeted toward uh, vacancy. I think what makes this different is that the report makes clear that you can't, um, you can't do uh, just a piecemeal approach. You really have to tackle this at its roots. And that includes the whole block strategy. In other words, the way a lot of uh, administrations have tackled this problem is to go after a vacant here, a vacant there, and this neighborhood and that. But what our report shows is that um, some of these vacants have been vacant for so long that if you uh, restore a vacant on one block without restoring all the vacants on that block, then it's highly, highly likely that that home that you have renovated will become vacant again and or another in that same block. So what we really need is a much more comprehensive strategy that goes at the problem at its roots and tackles it in a much more comprehensive way. And Reverend Hopkins, is this, for example, uh, uh, reflective of the opposition that Council President Nick Mosby encountered when he uh, tried to revive the dollar house program? Uh, People seem to uh, take issue with uh, Council President uh, because it was only going to do one house here and one house there. It wasn't going to do whole blocks at a time. Is this, is this, are we talking about the same thing here? Yeah, uh, a comprehensive strategy of not just changing a house again, as Reverend Connors mentioned, the issue with that, but one that changes whole communities, whole neighborhoods. If we want to see the tide change of where we're going, which we're gaining a thousand vacants a year, we have to have an intention and strategy rather than somebody buying a block vacant here and somebody buying vacant in East Baltimore, somebody in West Baltimore. How do we look at a whole block? How do we work with the community in that in that around that block and change that block until that whole neighborhood is transformed and then hopefully addressing the issue of gaining a thousand vacancies a year, stopping that and moving to the tide of getting rid of a thousand vacancies a year really takes intentional strategy. And to that uh, end, this is interesting, uh, of all the reports I've read about vacants and what to do about them over the years, um, this also includes, and it's expensive, it's it's nearly $7 billion and we'll talk about where that money comes from in a minute, but um, part of the money uh, you're suggesting should be spent on current low income homeowners whose houses are not vacant because they're they're in them. Um, so it's not just the vacant houses themselves. It's these other houses on the blocks that are affected um, deleteriously uh, by the existence of vacants on their block. 
And I think that's sometimes what can get lost in the numbers is the people impacted by the vacants, the families who live in those blocks, the families whose values of their homes have decreased, the families who don't feel safe. Um, and so a part of this funds is saying that the communities that have been often seen as being too um, costly to invest in, that we're saying, no, this is a time where we can reimagine what it looks like to invest in these communities and that it's not a subsidy, uh, it's given a subsidy, but as we invest in these communities, that will actually increase the wealth of the family members there, but also bring back financial uh, benefits to our city with uh, property taxes and other benefits too. We're talking about vacant housing and what to do it, about it in Baltimore, uh, according to a new report issued last week by Build Baltimoreans United in Leadership Development. My guests are the Reverend George Hopkins, he's a co-chair of Build, and the Reverend Andrew Connors, who's a member of the Build Strategy Team. Our Number here at midday, 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR. Um, and Andrew Connors, one of the things that also uh, struck me about this report is you mentioned uh, the Project CORE, which is uh, was put in place by uh, the Hogan administration back in 2016. CORE stands for Creating Opportunities for Renewal and Enterprise. It had to do with tearing a lot of vacant houses down. You're not talking so much about demolishing these vacants. You're talking about renovating them uh, and making them livable. Well, I think a comprehensive strategy, uh, obviously, there'll be some homes that need to be knocked down. I mean, our press conference was in front of a, a home that had a tree that had been growing for so long up the middle that I'm not an expert on the actual demo, but I don't know if that one could be restored. So certainly that will be part of a plan. But I think that effort, the core effort, is exactly what we're talking about. That's one piece, and it's not really solving the problem. And it's also geared much more towards structures. And as Reverend Hopkins said, we want to think about communities and how to rebuild communities. And I think the important thing to mention here too, Tom, is that we've actually done this in East Baltimore in mm -hmm. three neighborhoods. And I know you've had on your show our developer uh, Rebuild Metro and know about their extraordinary work. But this is not just pie in the sky. Mm -hmm. This is, um, we've actually, in the three neighborhoods where we've uh, redeveloped, we've built now 450 homes, I believe. Um, we have increased the population in those neighborhoods by 45% at the same time that the city was losing population over these last 10 to 15 years, or 40 years really. Um, and we have restored homeown homeowner wealth in those neighborhoods without displacing a single person. So I think that's really important to note that our, this is a scaled up approach to something that we've already demonstrated is not only possible, but actually is a real investment financially and an investment in uh, the people in the neighborhoods where they live. Yeah, and Reverend Hoppers, let's talk about how that happened. Uh, Oliver, for example, mm -hmm. is one of the uh, uh, neighborhoods that Bill's been active in. Um, and the guy that uh, Reverend Connors is referring to is a guy named Sean Klosky, who has this thing called Rebuild Metro. Um, we've had him on the show. We've talked to a number of other folks uh, who are doing similar work. Um, tell, us, tell us how it happened. Uh, what, what were the mechanics of uh, making these, uh, turning these neighborhoods around, building the population, building wealth? Um, give us an example of how that happened. I think a significant part to the success, success that Sean would also acknowledge is people like Miss Regina, which is local leaders organizing their community and the community being a significant part, not just a voice that gives input, but a significant partner in the work of redeveloping and building homes. And so there's this place of how we have no displacement. How do we have 93 percent um, African-American prior to redevelopment, 93 percent post-redevelopment? 
is that the community is a crucial part to the redevelopment of the, the physical homes that are there. And when the community is a crucial part of that work, um, one, we aren't displacing, but the community is empowered through the work of transforming the homes in that neighborhood at the same time. And what kind of community involvement are we talking about? Um, people people use the term community involvement, community engagement. Um, sometimes those are kind of you know corporate terms almost. Um, what does it actually mean? What what does it what does it mean for a homeowner in Oliver to be involved in the the re the redevelopment, you know, the, the revitalization of, of that kind of neighborhood? I think that's a great question. Uh, you know, BUILD at our core is a community organizing organization. And so we go in and we build relationships with our community and we train the community to say, hey, you have a voice. You have the, the solutions to what we need. What are your ideas? Let's get together and work. And we will do certain things like small wins. If we have a dirty lot, we have something that is a main concern of the community. How do we work together to get some small victories? And when we can get small victories together, then we say to the community, how do we dream together of doing something bigger and larger together? And if anyone has ever heard about the work of Rebuild, you will likely hear the numbers and the strategy and the funding from Sean. And at the same time, Miss Regina will be with him telling the stories of the community. And if you don't have both of those, what you end up getting is gentrification, where somebody has a number, somebody has a dream, and they, they go and they build, and then it becomes a desirable place. And then you push out the people that you might not want or see being there. You need both. You need the, if I can use people's names, you need the Regina and the Sean work really uh, together hand in hand so that one the community thrives I like to say it this way let's train let's change our neighborhoods without changing our neighbors right so that there's transformation but the people who are there benefit from the change that happens in our community and Reverend Connors uh, another crucial part of this uh, in terms of the funding mechanism is to create uh, what you're calling a special purpose entity um, why do we need that what would that look like who runs it? Great question. Yeah, so I think the, there are two two ways to think about this, Tom, is that number one, uh, you mentioned earlier a price tag of $7.5 billion um, that's needed to rebuild our neighborhoods. We really need an investment of public funds of just, <laughs> just $2.5 billion. But if you're going to create that kind of investment, then we're going to need the help. We're going to need investment from, from the state. And we really want to use the state's credit in order to be able to leverage the dollars that we need to rebuild our neighborhoods. So uh, the state is obviously not going to open up their checkbook and say, here's $2.5 billion, Baltimore. But if we create a special purpose entity that has a laser-like focus on this vacancy problem that maintains local control, which I think is really key, uh, and also brings in the values that we've seen and that we've uh, held fast to in East Baltimore. So no displacement, building from strength, right-sizing communities, mixed-income neighborhoods without displacing anyone. Um, that's what the special purpose entity would be created to do. And the last thing I'll say about it is we need something that is time-limited because part of the problem is that we've all come to accept the unacceptable, which is living with this vacancy problem year after year after year. So we want to create a special entity that doesn't create a new bureaucracy, but rather has a time-limited scope to be able to attack this problem at its roots and get the investment to the neighborhoods that need it. And that time limit is about five years, right? 
I mean, when I when I look at the report, am, am I am I reading that correctly? I mean, it would be longer than that. Um, so we're really talking about a uh, ten to fifteen year okay. investment strategy, and about two hundred million dollars a year for about ten to fifteen years, which would leverage the the seven point five billion figure is includes private capital. So. Our plan would take $2.5 billion of public investment and then leverage the additional $5 million of private investment. Right. And you are confident that private investment would step up. I mean, Reverend Hopkins, I mean, that, that seems, like, seems like a lot to ask. I mean, you're, you're talking about 65% of the price tag going from on the private side, 35% uh, on the public side. I mean, what makes you confident that the private sector, the development types, you know, would, would step up and uh, and invest? Uh, good question. Uh, well, part is, again, the work we've seen with Rebuild America on the East Baltimore. For every dollar of public money, we've seen $2 leveraged with private money. And so, again, this is really how do we see what is working in three neighborhoods brought to scale for the entire city. And so we're taking that same approach for the citywide approach. And we believe this is a good investment, that there is a return and value, that this isn't, again, a subsidy. This is an investment that long term will be to the benefit of all those who invest in it and also to the city of Baltimore and for the community members and our communities. Reverend George Hopkins is a co-chair of Build Baltimoreans United in Leadership Development. Reverend Andrew Connors is the pastor of Brown Memorial Park Avenue Presbyterian Church. He's a member of the Build Strategy Team. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk more about the Build Report uh, called Whole Cities, uh, or excuse me, Whole Blocks, Whole City, Reclaiming Vacant Property Throughout Baltimore. 410-662-8780 or email midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday. WIPR. You can follow me at Tom Hall. WIPR. Stay with us. You're tuned to Midday on your public radio, 88.1 WIPR. Welcome back. It is indeed midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to turn our focus to Baltimore County. My guest will be Baltimore County Executive Johnny Olszewski, Jr. He will join me for the hour tomorrow here on Midday. If you've just joined us today, we're talking about a proposal to target reinvestment in some of Baltimore's most distressed neighborhoods and to eliminate blight in our city. The proposal comes from BUILD, a nonpartisan, interfaith, multiracial community organization that was founded back in 1977. They've issued a report that is a call to arms to confront head-on the problems of vacant housing that has plagued our city for decades. It's called Whole Blocks, Whole City, Reclaiming Vacant Property Throughout Baltimore. My guests are the Reverend Andrew Connors, a member of the BUILD strategy team, and the Reverend George Hopkins, a co-chair of BUILD. You can join us at 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wipr.org. As far as I know, Twitter still exists. At midday, WIPR will find us, and at Tom Hall, WIPR will find me. So, um, Reverend Hopkins, let's talk about the neighborhoods that you want to target. You talk specifically about places in Baltimore that you think uh, the strategy can be scaled up uh, and work. Where where are we talking about? 
So a lot of the work we've discussed so far is, you know, primarily talking about the political engagement and the funding. Um, but the other, again, crucial part is the community organizing. And so what you need on the ground are leaders who are involved in communities that are working together. Um, I live and serve in southwest Baltimore. So I'm, I'm biased towards that community, having focused. But we have dynamic leaders who are there. Um, we have dynamic developers who are community-focused, too. And so what we have done is identify communities that we have seen already having a community organizing work done and who just need the funding and support to get this transformational work be done. And that's happening in pockets throughout the city from west Baltimore to southwest west to, to East Baltimore that we're focusing on now. As well as Park Heights. Right? Park Heights, yeah, yes. That's in the mix, too. And uh, Andrew Connors, in terms of uh, the support, the endorsement that you've uh, received, uh, you had a press conference last week. Uh, Mayor Brandon Scott of Baltimore attended that press conference. What's his status when it comes to this proposal? Have you spoken to Governor Moore about this? What's his status? Great question. So, yes, uh, Mayor Scott has endorsed our approach in terms of the creation, the need for a special purpose entity. And we're working with him and his administration right now to work out the details of what that would look like. He's also stated publicly that um, he shares our belief that that's going to require the state as a significant uh, partner for this level of investment. And he also stated last week that the number that we have, the $7.5 billion figure, is also his number. That is what's required. He understands the the gravity of the problem and the scale of the problem. Um, and I should say also that at the beginning of his administration, before he even took office, he met with us and said, um, what you're doing in East Baltimore is remarkable. I want that to be a citywide strategy. Help me develop that. Um, and so that brings us to where we are with him today. With, with uh, our governor, um, he, he met with us uh, during the election, um, during the campaign season, and we laid out for him our strategy. It was before the release of this report, so we didn't quite have um, the level of detail that, that we've referred to today. Um, but he also understands what we've been able to accomplish in East Baltimore. And he endorsed the overall approach and said, I want to meet with you all within the first quarter of my administration. So we're in the process right now of setting up that initial meeting. And now that we have the details uh, of what's going to be required, we'll be calling on him to take a major leadership role. And I should say that I think this scale effort obviously requires both the city and mm -hmm. the state working together as partners, and we're excited about the, the prospect of that possibility. And Reverend Hopkins, uh, the ARPA money, the American Rescue Plan funds uh, that uh, the mayor has been uh, doling out over the past you know many months, uh, about $640 million total, uh, is any of the money from the ARPA plan, uh, has, any, has the mayor designated any of the money uh, towards uh, this kind of effort? Yes, the mayor last year, $100 million towards addressing the issues of vacants. Um, and I know this year he's also asking the state to make that same investment to addressing the issue of vacants, too. So is that kind of money, uh, you know, could that uh, be a, a seeding for for the the, uh, the special entity, uh, for example? Has that money been allocated specifically to do you know, A, B, C, and D, or is it up in the air enough that it could be uh, brought directly into this effort? That money could, could begin to invest. Again, there are developers and community leaders who are already doing this work who just need the public funding behind them. And so we can invest in some of that work that's there. The special purpose entity, again, is important to get that money to scale, but also the process of getting a vacant house 
and rebuilding that vacant house takes a year and a half to two years now. And so that's one of the benefits of the special purpose entity. So the money can be used towards that, but the process now is still um, too uh, drastically slow to make any significant progress for change. And uh, Reverend Connors, there is a a dramatic population decline happening across the country. So Baltimore has lost, uh, the, the decline in Baltimore started in the 1950s in terms of population decline. We are now under 600,000 people uh, for the first time uh, since yes. the 19th century. You know? Yes. Um, but, but Baltimore is not the only city experiencing that. Um, when it comes to uh, you know, rebuilding all these homes, because uh, we're talking about thousands of homes. Do we need the homes? I mean, we, 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 we just, we don't have, uh, we, we're going to be competing for people uh, to, to live in Baltimore City with other cities uh, who are also experiencing population declines. Well, I think I mentioned earlier the phrase right-sizing, and I think that's part of the work too, right? Is uh, First of all, families aren't the sizes that they were when Baltimore was built in its heyday. Um, so some of the homes that we've redeveloped in East Baltimore, for example, we've had to um, be creative with uh, how we reshape that home for uh, family size realities of today. And I think the population issue is, is similar. I think what it all points to, Tom, however, is that we have to get more competitive than we are because, as you point out, um, we're going to be competing with other cities up and down the East Coast. And if we leave things the way they are, we're not going to be very competitive. Yeah, we, 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 this is, this is uh, you know, who's going to want to move to a block, you know, that has a bunch of vacant houses? Exactly. It's that simple. I mean, exactly. it, this, this, this ain't brain surgery or as whatever the, whatever the <laughs> phrase is. And Reverend Hopkins, we have an um, email from Deborah who lives in Towson. Are you working with Black Women Build on the vacants issue? We've had Shelley Halstead, who's the head of that organization, on the show to talk about the work that they're doing. But, you know, when it comes to to those kinds of organizations. You mentioned several other organizations, several other folks, you know, uh, doing this work. Um, How are those uh, efforts coordinated into this build effort? A significant part of it. We've had meetings with specifically local black developers in the city and their parties, ongoing conversations too. Some of the things I've said to those developers is um, we're doing this work so that what you're doing can thrive. Um, so there's a lot of partnership with local developers. There's a lot of partnership with CDCs, with community leaders across the board. We are linking arms together to solve this issue to scale. It's not just a financial scale. It's, it's people resource, too. Um, how do we, to scale, work together to accomplish this work? And uh, Andrew Connors, in this report, you talk about the need for fresh urgency. And that's really at the core of this effort, isn't it? I mean, you're, 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 we, we've talked about all these other efforts and all these other plans that we've heard about for years and years. Um, what's it going to take? You know, is, is, it, is it just political urgency or is it, is it deeper than that? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I mean, I think, Tom, we're people of faith. Uh, you know, we're, we're an organization that's ecumenical, interfaith, but we are people of faith. And I think that's necessary for something like this because we do have to bring a different level of urgency and, frankly, possibility to to the conversation. Uh, but I think we can do it. And as as we said earlier, our, our hope is not uh, false hope or pie-in-the-sky hope because we've actually done the work. So it's really about, I think, helping people wake up, open their eyes, not only to the realities but to the possibilities of, of what we can do together. And I think this report 
points this toward that two-pillar direction, that special purpose entity and that large-scale investment that is really possible to make Baltimore the city that it can be together. You also talk in the report, uh, Reverend Hopkins, about patient funding. Uh, this is not one of these things, a quick blast, you know, here's $100 million, go do something, or here, here's whatever the amount is. You, you, the, the patience that this is going to take um, is a crucial element of this as well. Yeah, I would add is patience that there will be work happening while that patience is happening financially. And again, that, that goes to the work that's happening on the ground. But to build a city that for the next generation, they look back and say, we remember being a, a city of vacants and now we're, we're not that. means that we're trying to build brick by brick, block by block, an entire city. And so we, we ask for patience, but not patience where nothing's being done. Um, if you're developing, if you're a community leader, continue to do that work because that work is crucial. This is only successful when the funds come, if there are communities organized, developers who are already ready, focused on the community, if those people are in place, um, that's the only way this really works. So while we're patiently waiting for the funding to come and this way that it will come, there's a lot of work we have to do on the ground with one another and with leaders in our community. Yeah, you know, I'm almost inclined to, you know, coin the new phrase, patient urgency, you know, because <laughs> it, it is, it's a mix yeah. of both, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there, you know, it, it's, and it's a complicated issue, but uh, as you say in this report, you know, fundamentally it's not so complicated. Right. Right. And I think the, the picking up on what Reverend Hopkins said, I mean, part of the reason for a special purpose entity is to recognize that we can't keep flipping from administration to administration with different strategies. So the patient kind of investment is also a, a different kind of focus from the city at large that kind of removes it one step from the political process, not away from accountability, but a, a step away from that kind of flipping back and forth so that we can really have a strategy that overlaps more than one administration, mm -hmm. which is what it will take. Um, I mean, Mayor Scott said at our at our press conference, and uh, to his credit, I think he said, you won't hear this from a lot of mayors, but I am going to say that if this takes root, it's going to happen well beyond my administration. And so I think we recognize that, and that's part of what the patient investment is. It's a, it's a strategy that outlives any one uh, administration, either at the city or the state level. That's Reverend Andrew Connors. He's the pastor of Brown Memorial Church in Bolton Hill and a member of the Build Strategy team. The Reverend George Hopkins is here with me as well in Studio A. He is a co-chair of Build Baltimoreans United in Leadership Development. We're talking about what to do about the scourge of vacant houses and vacant properties here in our city, 410-662-8780, our email midday at WIPR.org, and you can tweet us at midday WIPR. So we have a, a tweet from a listener in Towson who says the idea of the need to take an entire block of buildings to be able to create a core is exactly the same ideas that have been used for commercial development uh, as practiced by Jay Brody and the BDC for many years working hard to redevelop areas such as the West Side. I think involvement of church leaders here is critical, and it also just goes to show that development takes a long, long time. But there are some things, Reverend Hopkins, that can be learned from the folks who've developed commercial properties, uh, and, and then there are some things that are transferable uh, to developing residential properties. Yeah, and I think the block by block is, again, it's, it's, again, it's about vision about who we can become in a city that we can build. We've talked about this a lot within Build, is that 
that what Baltimore has, we have a legacy of redlining here. And the ideology behind redlining was this community is not worth investing in. And that same ideology, that same language exists today. And so where we are is committed that we change that narrative, that this be a place where redlining started and to be a place where it ends. And that communities that have often been seen as not worth being invested in, that we now see it that way, that we change a new market that says not only can we invest in this community, but there will be a beneficial return morally and economically when we invest in our community with this vision. Um, Reverend Connors, what about uh, efforts to uh, have people uh, in low-income neighborhoods and low-income situations uh, moved to higher income neighborhoods. There was a, a program called uh, Choice Neighborhoods, I think, moving people from Baltimore City to Baltimore County. You know, the schools are better, supposedly, and the uh, crime is, is uh, less frequent. Um, there was a Hope 6 program that, you know, was in place for a number of years. You're, you're talking about a different approach. Moving people out of Baltimore City is not the ultimate goal here. No, I think uh, we want people to be obviously the authors of their own destiny, and we want them to have a voice in the creation and recreation of their own neighborhoods. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to speak specifically to the ones that you um, brought up, but we do have a history in the city of moving usually uh, low-income, usually black people out of their own neighborhoods with a fantasy that we can um, bulldoze what's there and start from scratch. That usually takes a tremendous amount of resources. It disrupts lives, and it doesn't help people. Um, what we've seen in East Baltimore is when we do it right, we can bring in new people with wealth into the city, without displacing current residents. And I think that for us is key and non-negotiable. So we're, we'll look at any and all tools for how to make that happen, but we're not in favor of um, uh, making decisions about other people's lives by moving them out of their neighborhoods and bulldozing them, as I think we've seen uh, happen on more than one occasion in the city. And Reverend Hopkins, uh, Reverend Connors, uh, use the term building from strength. Mm -hmm. This is something Sean uh, Klosky and I have talked about uh, on this show as well, uh, talking about taking something that's, you know, got a core of uh, positive energy and then building out from there. Tell, tell us what the strategy behind uh, building from strength uh, entails. Well, I think first it's realizing that our communities have strength, often communities that have been overlooked, and finding out, again, community organizing through these deep relationships, where's the strength in this community, and how do we begin to build from that strength outward so that we're getting stronger and stronger and to the extent that the whole re rebuilding has covered the entire community, the entire neighborhood. And again, the, the crucial part in that is spending the time relating to the community, identifying where the strength is in that community so that you can then do that work with the community to do that building. And Reverend Connors, we are a community of row houses. Yes. Uh, and the report uh, notes that rebuilding and renovating row houses presents particular challenges. It's different than it the is. single, you know, freestanding houses. Why is that? Well, I think one of the things the report points out and, and why we have, I think, as the report states, 34,000 homes at risk of becoming vacant. A big piece of that is that if you're a row house attached to two other uh, neighboring row homes, if one of them is vacant, your house is much more likely to be impacted structurally by that vacant home. Um, so when you're renovating row homes, you need to 
pay attention. Again, it goes back to the whole block strategy. You've got to work on clearing vacants a whole block at a time, not the piecemeal approach. And on, you know, focusing on keeping homeowners in their homes. And the city does have, uh, the Department of Housing and Community Development does have a number of programs to do that, helping people keep their their uh, roofs up to date and those those sorts of things. And Reverend Hopkins, we just have a couple minutes left. Um, I live in Reservoir Hill. Uh, we moved in there in 1986 on Utah Place. And in the block that's parallel to ours, Madison Avenue, when we moved in, the entire west side of that block was boarded up. There wasn't anybody living there, or maybe one or two houses. And now all of those homes are occupied. I have no idea actually how that happened, you know, and it happened over a period of time. But we would walk the dog around the block and see, oh, there's another one, there's another one, there's another How do we scale this up? How do we get it so that that kind of thing can happen in neighborhoods across the city? Uh, I think the report gets to the scaling of it. I think the SPE gets to the scale. Um, What I would add to that, Tom, I I grew up in Cherry Hill. I had the privilege of going to Poly High School and graduating and graduating from Morgan State. A lot of my peers have left the city as part of that group that has has moved. I always say we have the decision uh, at some point to decide whether I leave or I stay and lead. And I think the important part of what you're talking about is some neighborhoods are desirable and people want to move into. And some people say, if I build a house here, then people, I can charge money and anybody can move into it. What we're also saying is looking at communities of people who have often been seen as not worth investing in, that you can build a house and somebody says, I still don't want to move there. They were saying, let's look at the communities that have often been overlooked, that have been food deserts, that have schools that may have struggled because of less population and saying these communities are worth developing. And if we do the work with the community, then people will move back. And I just even new people but people returning back. And so we're, we're actually looking to look at the communities that have often been undervalued and overlooked and saying there is value here. Morally and economically, there's value here. And how do we change the market? How do we change our vision of what tomorrow is by looking at communities and saying this community is worth investing in, the people here. And if we do that, there's multiple benefits that have often for generations been saying, if you invest here, it's nothing but a waste or a loss. And we're saying, no, we've seen it in East Baltimore. We want to see it in other communities, again, that often are neglected and seen as not as being valuable. Well, that is a great uh, way to end this conversation. It will not be the last time we have this conversation about this very important issue. And I'm grateful to both of you for coming in and sharing uh, what you've done with this report, which is remarkable and uh, inspirational uh, on every level. Uh, As I said, I've read a bunch of these. (laughs) And uh, this is my favorite one. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Reverend George Hopkins. He's a co-chair of BUILD. Reverend Andrew Connors is a member of the BUILD strategy team. He's the pastor of Brown Memorial Park Avenue. Presbyterian Church. Coming up after a quick break, a theater review with midday theater critic Jay Wynn Russick. She'll join me shortly to talk about Crowns, a production of Arts Centric at Baltimore Center Stage. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is your public radio, member-supported 881 WYPR.